Right, well, it seems, it does seem <clears throat> that we are all born with something innate in, in, within us. And I don't just mean like a twinkle in an eye that you might be for somebody. Uh, there is something within you that seems to be of a more sinister capacity. Uh, and it might be a capacity that we write off as good or helpful might be something that we think is beneficial, that people need to hear about from us toward them. Um, but it's not. I brought an example of it right here. We're all kind of born with a measuring rod that we use. This one's from Michael's. But we're all born with a measuring rod that we try to use to determine whether or not other people in our life measure up to whatever expectation of them we have. And we get really, really good at using this. Really precise. I mean, we can, we can measure you up to like the half a millimeter if we want to show you that you aren't as good as us. Then you put a whole bunch of Christians in the same room and we get all ours together and we, uh, we build our boxes and our stuff, and we get like, like the multiplying effect of our ability to teach you and show you that you don't measure up only increases. And so some of these things, they get real long, right? We're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, okay, you're not good enough here. Here's where you're not good enough. Here's where you don't measure up. Oh, man, some of you, some of you are really bad. You go off the rod, But the problem with that is what? I mean, all of you have done it. You've both done it to others where you have given them some type of measurement where they don't, they don't seem to hit the mark. But at the same time, it's been done to you, hasn't it? It's been done to you where somebody comes to you and says, hey, just so you know, you shouldn't talk to your kids like that. Hey, just so you know, I don't like the way you're dressed. You don't come to church like that. Hey, just so you know, that's not the right way to say that. Hey, just so you know, that's not how you spend your money. Just so you know, right? And then on and on and on and on and on. We keep going as we try to tell people that they don't measure up. You've both done it to others, and you've had it done to you. And all our life, we go through. It's like we're born with this measuring rod, this yardstick, and we just kind of go through figuring out what we're going to do with it. We wrongly assume it's to measure us to others. That we're going to go around and, and show others how good we are and how bad they are. And yet, what do we hear from Jesus today? What he's going to teach us on criticism. He's going to teach us on, first, how ridiculous it is to be critical in our own ways. And then he's going to give us a little bit of advice on if we even want to go into the realm of criticism, uh, how to do it. But he talks about criticism, talks about judgment. Now, judgment's a little bit of a funnier word for us because we just think like always just this declarative statement of judgment on others. But uh, it really has this idea of, of criticizing, making discernments between two things, right? That we, you know, that we are judge, jury, executioner, that we know, know what's going on with people and we have the ultimate ability to make the right call. So we'll be in Matthew 7, the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. We're getting started in Matthew chapter 7 and we're going to go verses 1 
through 6, and he's going to show us again, we talked about a good life, whole sermon, whole series has been this idea of the good life. What, what is that good life that's actually out there for us, that belongs to us in Christ, that's, that's attainable in Christ? What is that? Life lived out by faith from the heart with a desire to honor God and God alone with it. And now in these six verses, we get to get to a topic that all of us deal with, both in our attitudes towards others and others' attitudes towards us. Matthew 7, 1 through 6. We will see a command, don't do this. I'll say, don't do that. And then an application. And then in verse 6, he kind of provides this counterbalance. I'll call it a counterbalance to the idea. So it's a command, it's an application, and a counterbalance. Let's look at the passage. It reads like this. Judge not that you be not judged. It's always funny. We don't talk like that. Uh, Or lest ye be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. They'll say, trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Passage. Verses 1 and 2 serve as kind of the main idea from which the rest of the passage is going to flow for us, right? Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And what do we hear here? What's going on in this? It's this idea. Don't bring unjust judgment or criticism upon others. That's not really your, that's not your domain. Don't bring unjust judgment, unjust criticisms on others. Now, now we're going to hear this idea and this is, this is probably a pretty well-known phrase. Christians, non-Christians alike, we go, well, the Bible says don't judge. And so we just, we just say, the Bible says don't judge, so you can't judge me, you can't determine. Well, the Bible clearly has judgments that it proclaims. It says things about you, and it says things about me. It says things about us. But we'll kind of use this phrase as cover. Don't judge. Who are you to judge? And while there are true elements to that idea, we kind of miss the point if we just think it's this blanket statement of, well, don't, don't judge. Now, before you get really excited and all you people who are really judgy feel like you have an out, we're not there yet. Okay? Like, yes, I knew it. See, I knew I could tell you that you stink. So it isn't that. The perspectives don't get at the purpose of the passage. Consider, though... Because right after this passage, and we'll get to it in a moment, Jesus says, take the, take the log out of your own eye, the plank out of your own eye, so you can look at the speck in your brother's, that Jesus does have, right after that, some type of statement about helping one another see more clearly, right? Live more rightly, accurately. So there is this aspect of dealing with me and helping you with what's going on in you that comes right after this. So we know it's not just this declaration that will never look, never discern, never peer into the lives of others. But at the same time... 
the Christian's life, our life as disciples, is not one of unfair, inaccurate, or unloving criticisms that we just throw around at other people as if we really know what is best. It isn't on you and it isn't on me to make godlike declarations of someone's character. I know I've done that. I've told them without a shadow of a doubt how they are. Oh no, you must not be a Christian. I've said that. Clearly, you don't know God. Clearly. <laughs> and what, is, what, is, what does the word even clearly mean but that I see something right? Well, clearly, it's like this. Clearly. Right? It's like, it's like one of the worst words you can use. Because what happens then? Right? You make a declaration that you know, you know best. That's a dangerous declaration to make. Say so you know best about the precise thing that might be going on in someone's life. So it's this idea of making these definitive, declarative, critical statements about who somebody is and perhaps even what their standing might be. Now, I have no problem saying, man, if you don't know Jesus, you're not, you're not going to heaven. You're not with him. You don't have faith in Jesus, right? Like, we are saved by grace through faith. That's not a, that's not a statement that, that is me going, well, hey, you know, I can't judge, like, God made the way through his son Jesus, so salvation comes through Jesus. I don't mind saying that. And if somebody says to me, well, are you telling me that if I don't have faith in Jesus that I'm going to hell? I'll go, I mean, yeah. Yeah, but I'm not the one saying it. I'm, I'm, not, the one, I'm not the one saying it. I'm not, I'm not the one making that the case. Nor am I the one telling you that, that you going to hell is a surefire thing. Like, that's not me. So I have no issue talking about what the scriptures say. But when I then become, oh, yeah, well, you can't do this, or you can't do that, or you can't do this. And that often comes with time. It's like the longer you walk with the Lord, just the more of a jerk you can sometimes become. That's not supposed to be that way, but it just kind of is what starts to happen. You get grumpier and grouchier, and new believers show up, and they don't, they're not as enlightened as you are, of course. So you, you feel this incredible need to tell them what they need to believe, what they need to be doing, where they're right, where they're wrong, in everything. So when Jesus says, you will be judged, look at that, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, in verse 2, when he, when he says that, what he's saying is, is maybe a... <laughs> We could put it colloquially like this. Hey, what goes around comes around, right? Like, or if you really want to play that game, okay, let's go, right? Because your judgment, your criticism, the way in which you will be able to declare something is going to fall short of what God sees and what God knows. So if you're going to step into this world of telling people, hey, this is how it goes, this is how it doesn't go, this is how it doesn't go, right? Like, like it's impossible if I go to your Facebook feed or your Twitter timeline or just whatever other part of your life or your text messages, I'm going to find ways that you have lived in, out of alignment, out of alignment with the things you've said anybody should be doing. And so that idea is like, well, if you really want to go there, if you really want to make you know, these big shallow declarations about people as the thing, then we can go there, but just know you better get in line. You better get in line. Because... 
If that's how you're going to play, it's going to come right back to you. If this is how you're going to walk around measuring people, well, then it's going to come right back. You'll be measured in the same way. Anyone who has a close relationship, it could be a spouse, a kid, a friend. You ever heard this phrase? Oh, are we going to go there? Are we going to go there? If we're going to go there, okay, fine, let me get my list out. If we're going to start talking about the things that, that you think I do wrong, the ways you think I'm not clear, the way you think I'm not helpful, I have a whole list of ways that you're not helpful too. Or no one's ever done that. But that's, that's, that's the idea encapsulated in one and two. Hey, is that really, are, are you going to live your life based upon these inaccurate, inane, ridiculous ways of criticizing and judging people? No, don't, don't do that. To the believers in the room, and the believers online or outside, I will say this. You may think that criticism is a spiritual gift, but it's not. It's actually not in any list that you can find, right? And don't do this like, well, I'm discerning. I'm like, no, no, okay. Like, saying you're discerning is, and that you're critical, those aren't really the same thing, right? Like, criticism is like the underbelly of our flesh. We just walk around cynical and bugged by things. Discernment's a totally different category, and that comes from the Lord, from his word, empowered by his spirit. Criticism does not. Anyone can be a critic. So to the believers in the room, we just need to know criticism isn't a gift. Declarative statements about your brothers and sisters and who they are and how they operate, that's not a gift. And, and Jesus' wisdom shows us that if, we're really, if that's how we're going to go, well, we shouldn't be surprised that the same, the same thing might come to us. Don't be surprised when you're treated in the same way. And to the parents in the room, you can say the same thing. Right? Letting your kids know how they don't measure up to one another or to your expectations of them doesn't really help anybody. It doesn't. Let me tell you how you're not good enough. Let me tell you how you haven't succeeded. Let me tell you how much smarter your brother is, how your sister is, why you're causing me problems. Why, like, it, doesn't, it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't come from the Lord. It comes from you. Often, it comes from our insecurities and our fear of being found out. Somebody finds out that I'm bad at that, right? I've got to kind of put up this front that I know I have it all together and tell you where you're wrong. Now, James, who's Jesus' half-brother, he seems to take the lead from Jesus here. And remember when we went through James, it was last year we went through James, but you will find, if you went through James now, you'd be like, oh my gosh, there are so many connections to the Sermon on the Mount in the book of James. It's like, right, James is taking his marching orders from his brother who happens to be God. I was talking to my kids about James this week. I said, how would you feel if your brother ran around telling everybody, you know, that, you know it was God? He, Jesus wasn't telling everybody. How would you feel, right, if, like, there were all these declarations made? I mean, talk about sibling rivalry. You know, there's James. James, did not, he wasn't one of the 12 apostles. He, he, he came to faith later. Makes sense that he came to faith later because it takes a while for anybody in your family to convince you that they're better than you think they are. But James believes. And look at what he says in James 2.13. For, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You hear that idea? Judgment's without mercy to the one who doesn't show mercy. 
With the same way that you're judging others, it will be given to you. If you don't have mercy, you don't receive mercy. In 4, 11, and 12, don't speak evil against one another, brothers, sisters. The one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, you're a judge. You're, set, you're setting yourself up, up over it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy, but, but who are you to judge your neighbor? So again, you see James taking cues from his brother, the Messiah, and the language that his brother has used on, on how we, we treat one another. So the news flash here for us is you are not God. I know that's shocking, but you're not. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. The way in which he is engaging the heart of men and women and children all around, the ways that he is teaching and instructing and guiding, he is doing that. You don't think like God. You don't judge like God. You don't make declarations like God. Left to ourselves, we are not just. We are selfish. We are looking for ways to, to incriminate others and make ourselves look good. I use this phrase regularly with, with, with my children. Our sin makes us hide. That, that when we sin, and this is what happens in the garden, right? They, they become aware that they're naked, and they go get some clothes on. They go hide from God. Like, our sin makes us run. It makes us hide what's going on. So to think that, that we are somehow the best judges of character, that we are somehow the best of knowing what's going on in each individual instance. That's a hard thing. And we do, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, even at elders meetings, we'll sit and we will talk about the life of the church and talk about membership and what's going on. And uh, one person might say something, usually me, right? Like, I'll, I'll make myself the bad guy, but we'll say something. And someone else will provide a balance to that. Say, I don't know if we can go there. You know, I don't know if we can say that. Uh, we don't know the whole picture. We don't know what's going on. We don't, we're, not, we're not aware. And so e even us, as we're sitting here trying to be shepherds of the flock and what's going on in the life of the flock, right? We might all have opinions. We're trying to root in what we see in Scripture and, and trying to understand the, the best needs somebody might have or the right way to pray for them. But even then, right, any one of us can be off, misunderstanding misconstruing, not having all of the information. Like, oh, well, I'm going off a conversation that I had three months ago. Like, oh, well, I'm going off of one I had a week ago. Right? And where's the Lord in all of this? Fully aware of all that's going on in us and all that's going on in his children. So what do we do, right? If you just take verses 1 and 2, you might as well just go, oh, just stand back and never say anything. That's probably the best way to, to do this. So do we never correct? How do we, how do we hear Jesus' words? How do I live my life? Because inevitably, we're going to talk to one another about things, aren't we? Especially in the church family. Like, we're going to ask advice. We're going to give advice, sometimes unwarranted, but we're going to give it. We're going to ask it. We're going to talk to one another. In our D groups, we're going to share what's going on in us. Sometimes we're going to bring some kind of corrective statement. We're going to say something that we see. We're going to try and address something. So, so we don't just leave it all alone. What happens? There's a difference between me judging in the place of God, which is a declaration of who you are and what you deserve, and, and, and an assumption that I have 
full and great knowledge of what's going on in you, and judging and deciding, evaluating what's going on based upon Scripture. And that's where we, that's where we go next. That Jesus gives us a command in verses 1 and 2, and he's about to illustrate and help us apply, then how do, we, how do we do what he said? How do we do what he said? Verses 3, 4, and 5. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck, back out of your eye when there's a log in your eye. You, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your eye and then you will see clearly. Take the speck out of your brother's eye. Caleb, can I borrow you? Caleb, come here for a second, please. Just for a second. You help us sometimes. Come on up. Hey, man. Come on over. Come on. Okay, so I wanted to... Hold on. Okay. So in a minute, give me a second. So, hey, it's good to see you. I'm... Uh, all right, well, you can go back. I don't... Thank you. Thank you. Caleb, everybody. You could, yeah, thank you so much. Good job. Saved on the internet for all to see forever. Tell all your friends. But that's the point, guys. When you're living your life assuming that you know what's best all the time and you try to interact with another person, what happens? Nothing good. Nothing good. I've been waiting two weeks for you to be here, too. Like, I've, I've had you in mind, buddy, this whole time. So, and this is what Jesus is saying. How, how do you think you can have a reasonable interaction with somebody about what's going on in them when this entire time you can't see because of what's going on in you. That's where he's going with this. That you address what's in you before you even try to address what's in others. Address what's in you before you try to address what's in others. I mean, we know this in general. In general, if you go out in the morning, one of these past mornings, and there's ice on your windshield, I hope you don't try and drive with it there because you can't make very good judgments about when to turn and when not to turn and how fast to go and what's going out in front of you if you have ice on your windshield. Well, imagine trying to talk to somebody about what's going on in their life when a log bigger than your head seems to be stuck in it. Jesus is clearly using hyperbole. Clearly, there I go. No one's walking around with logs in their eyes. I don't see any literal logs here. But he's speaking in hyperbole to say this. You have to figure out what's going on here. Because that's the only way you stand a chance to have an honest and beneficial conversation with someone else that that becomes the ground and the soil from which you can enter into a good conversation with someone else. We have to surrender to God. We have to confess our own sin. We have to look at our own needs. We have to see our own brokenness. 
And even the way the passage is, is speaking about log and speck is to say this, your issues in regard to you are way more important than their issues in regard to you. Right? They have to deal with their stuff, you have to deal with your stuff. And so if you want to try and help somebody, well, you can't do it if you can't see. But you have to look here. You don't just try to get log vision. You have to look here. And as we look at our own needs and we realize our own issues, then, then something starts to happen. And this is how we can enter into reasonable conversations with people. First, you realize that each person's accountable to God. Believer, unbeliever, stand before him. Those with faith in the Son are with him forever, and those without faith are not with him. Those who do not have faith. We have to address our issues. You're not, I've said this before, borrowed this from a friend back in the day, but you're not the junior Holy Spirit. Like, the Holy Spirit is the helper. You're not the junior helper. Well, he needs a little nudge, so I'm going to just be, I'm going to get the ball rolling for the Spirit, you know. Sometimes the Spirit needs help. No, Spirit doesn't need help. Spirit does what the Spirit does. And so you don't have to be junior Spirit running around just in case, you know. But the other thing that dealing with our own stuff does is this, is that it actually gives us the humility needed and required to have a good conversation with someone else. I'm no longer combative. I've seen how the Lord has dealt with me, and I've seen what's going on with me, and I'm no longer combative. Now think about this. Are you more or less gracious with people who sin in the same ways that you do? You're more gracious. Are you more or less gracious with people who don't sin in the ways that you do? Or sin in the ways that you don't? You're less gracious. That's kind of the fleshly part of that. Is that, that I, I'm fine being gracious to people who have my issues. But if you don't have my issues, you have a problem. Very easy for us to be gracious when we've, we've been there. Oh man, I've been there. When you've been there and I haven't, you're broken. And so, so dealing with ourselves and with the Lord and what's going on in our heart puts us in the place where we can actually say, without slapping Caleb in the face with a yardstick, where we can say, here's what I'm seeing, and let me tell you why, because the Lord's been dealing with this in me. Because I, I, I'm, I am no better I'm no better. And that's a totally different conversation than the one that's like, hey, for a while now I've been having some problems with you. But you've just done enough of them that I'm now going to tell you. Because that's about unburdening yourself. That's not, that's not about helping. That's just about you feeling better. And maybe in, in passing or in, in the process, making somebody else feel miserable. So dealing with the issues in our, us gives us the humility that's needed to help others walk with the Lord clearly. When we see how God has been gracious with us, 
that he has not held our sins against us, that he has not condemned us, well, then what happens? It's hard to be really condemning of other people, isn't it? You may not sin in the ways that I sin, and I may not sin in the ways that you sin. But the Lord has been gracious with me. So who am I to be ungracious with you? We've talked about these parables before. Jesus has multiple times told stories about people who are forgiven much and then can't forgive a little. People who have been dealt with in abundant grace who can't then apply one half of one half of one percent of the same idea to someone else. The other thing that dealing with the log in your eye does is it reduces the amount of things that are really urgent to address. I'm sure all of us, you see things in me, or I'll see things in you, or you see things in your community group. Like You see things that you might want to address. But when you approach it in humility, it becomes a matter of prayer first. A matter of prayer first, before it becomes a matter of action. Unless... Your awareness of the issue and the clarity that Scripture speaks to it are both really, really high. Right? Like, if I'm aware that you're having an affair, I'm not going to pray about when to tell you that you should probably not be doing that. Right? So, as clarity increases and my knowledge of that in Scripture increases, right, it comes to this point where. Action becomes necessary, but very often it's, it's going, man, I'm seeing something, I'm not sure, I've got to bring it before the Lord. Is this really a, a character thing, or is this just a current thing, right? Are they stressed because they haven't had power or water, and they have $5,000 in repairs, and maybe this week we're just not going to go after that idea, right? That when you come to it with humility, then you go to the Lord in prayer, and you ask Him to provide the right time to have the conversations, and lo and behold, I mean, he's done this for me. He provides it. He provides it. God changes how you relate to people. And, 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 and really, I think Ray Ortland has said this in passing. I don't know if you can find a place he's written it, but in passing. But, but the amount of, the amount of, the longer you work in ministry, the amount of things that, you find are necessary in the moment to address get way smaller. Your prayer list may get longer, but the amount of things that you in the moment need to address gets smaller. And, and this is an approach that as elders we have, right? Some to go, hey, do you know what's going on with so-and-so? And we're like, yep. Uh, sometimes better than you, sometimes not better than you, none of us better than the Lord. <laughs> You know what's going on? I think we need to tell them. I'm like, okay, well, you just hit your fist to your hand, so I'm not sure if you're ready for that. You know, it might be a little too combative. Are we doing anything about this? Well, yeah. We've been asking the Lord for weeks or months to do something about it, showing us where to move. That, that, that sometimes it looks like there might be an action on the part of a fellow brother or sister Toward us, what it right actually be is the right action of prayer, waiting for the Spirit to provide the right moment and right prompting to have a conversation.
So we, we hear the statement, don't judge, that if we do it unjustly or unwisely or critically, then what happens? Well, we, we, we just start bantering with one another about how we don't measure up against one another. And then we hear this statement from Jesus, well, you got to address what's going on in you. How do you ever expect to talk to somebody? How do you expect to talk to somebody about what's going on in them when you haven't addressed what's going on in you? In fact, hypocrite here is the first time he uses the word hypocrite specifically for his disciples. He gives them examples, hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the Gentiles. But here he says, you hypocrite. Because this is a clearly hypocritical thing that Christians can do, which is where we feel like we have been given the authority by God to tell everybody what's going on with them. Deal with you. And it's going to help you deal with others in humility, at the right time, in the right way, brought, uh, born through prayer. That's going to be what happens. Uh, as an example, think about this. Has Jesus revealed in you every sin you've ever committed? Anybody? Anybody have? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here are the 45 million from yesterday. Anybody? Yeah. No, of course not. Right? There are ways that you are probably sinning right now that the Lord, through other brothers and sisters and through the scriptures, is going to reveal to you in five months. That then become issues of confession and repentance. There might be ways you're currently being bugged, or I'll say convicted, and you're trying to figure out what is that level of, what is that thing? Why are you being bugged? You're going before the Lord, and you're asking him, God, what's going on in me? And then what happens, right? That two weeks, three weeks, four weeks later, you go, oh, there it is. There it is. Right? So, so we don't always need to be just going around blasting our opinions about one another. Because the Lord doesn't do that to us. We don't wake up every morning with a ledger of all the things we did wrong the day before. It's always wiped clean in his son. So then we get to verse 6. Verse 6 is interesting. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw, uh, do not throw your pearls before pigs or swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. And it's, it's weird because you'll find throughout time that people try to take this verse, and, and like sometimes in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, they just go, I'm not really sure how this connects. The commentators and you know, like people who walk with the Lord a long time go, I'm not sure how this connects. Um, which can certainly be, right? We are so far removed from that time, that language, and that culture that it becomes sometimes hard to go, I'm not, I just don't get it. So some people will read this, and, and they've talked about using this early, early on in the church, about they'll use this verse as a way to like guard the communion table, which means be sure that only baptized people who have professed faith in Jesus take communion. That you're guarding, right? Don't, don't give communion, the ordinance of the Lord, just to anybody, but give it to those who belong to Jesus and have demonstrated as much in baptism, right? That's John talked about that last week, I believe, at closed communion, right? Some people will only have it for baptized members of their church. So they'll use it like that. But we want to think about it in line with where Jesus has been, right? Now we have this verse 6, don't give to the dogs what is holy, don't cast your pearls before swine, I've got to trample underfoot and attack you. 
So we don't want to just dismiss it and go, I'm not really sure. So we'll just do the pearls before swine sermon next week. No, we don't want to do that. And this is why I say this is a counterbalance. As a believer, as a disciple, you don't need to focus the good things of God regularly towards people who are completely uninterested in them, who disregard it, who mock it. And when you, when you think about it like that, you, Jesus has done this, right? Hey, go to a town, and if they want to hear you, then go and stay there, and if they don't want to hear you, shake your dust off your feet as a sign of judgment, and then keep moving. And so we have this idea, okay, don't judge, deal with your own, but now we get into this verse 6, and that's why he's kind of pulling you back in and going, be, be wise in the things that you share and where you share them, and with whom you share them. Share them in places that they, that they will be received. And if they're not received, don't just keep sharing. It doesn't mean that you only preach to believers. I assume every morning that there are unbelievers in the room. Every morning that we're here. There are people here who are walking with Jesus. There are people here who are trying to figure out who Jesus is. There's people here who say, I don't believe in Jesus. We run the spectrum of people who have walked with the Lord for decades, people who have never put their faith in Jesus. And so it doesn't mean that we just never share, but when there is that level of just, I don't want to go there, I don't want to talk about it, I don't care, then there is this thing go, I'm not going <laughs> to, I will then share the things of God with people who are interested in sharing the things of God. You want to talk about the Lord? Let's talk about the Lord. You want to talk about what's going on in our hearts? Let's talk about what's going on in our hearts. If you're just going to just say, no, don't want that, not, don't care, not interested, Okay, might have a conversation or two, and then perhaps we stop. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul says as much in the book of Titus. Titus 3, verses 10 and 11. As for a person who stirs up division, right, that'd be somebody who's uninterested in the unity of the church, interested in the life of the church, after warning him, right, giving a warning, right, providing good discerning language, once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. You hear that language? After warning, do it once, do it twice, and then move on. Because even in their behavior, they're condemning themselves. It's weird to think the scriptures actually give us an out. They actually say, stop dealing with that person. Stop dealing with a person who doesn't care, who won't receive correction, who doesn't want to hear, who's not listening, who's not, not seeking, who's not interested. Just stop. Stop dealing with it. Paul says, warn once, warn twice, and then just say, clearly we're not on the same page here. Agreed. So in verses 1 and 2, we hear this statement, don't judge people. In verses 3 through 5, Meaning we, we can't expect to run around and offer con- condemnation about people. We have to address our own issues. And then number six, we get this counter statement that you wisely choose where you bring criticism. You wisely choose where you bring criticism. So, so don't judge, deal with your heart, and then wisely choose where you're going to bring it. And, and what happens if we 
the people of Genesis Community Church? What happens if, if we mark our relationships with one another by addressing what's going on in us first and then lovingly pursuing life with others as the scriptures speak to it? It would happen like this. We become a, a, a gracious and humble people who give and receive, give and receive sound and necessary feedback about how we could walk with the Lord. That's, that's what we become. Now, many of us have been burned, haven't we? So our trust meter on people sharing stuff with us is about at a negative 50. We have to deal with that. That we do know trust is both earned, but it also has to be extended. It's earned and extended. And as people who have been given the grace of God, we, I think, should be people who graciously extend trust to one another. That, that if somebody has something to share with you or share with me, I need to assume that that person has first dealt with their own stuff, has second dealt with that in prayer and then is coming to me. That's the assumption we need to apply to one another. And in the same way, if we are the bringer, not the receiver, that we need to deal with our own stuff, bear in prayer for our brother or sister, and then move. So we need to assume that that's been done, and we need to do it. And when that happens, we become that community of people who aren't afraid to hear what's going on, because I know you have my best interests in mind, which is my walk with the Lord, how we reflect Him as a church. But I know you have my best interest in mind, that I'm not concerned. And I'm not going to throw back at you, well, do you want me to tell you all the ways you bug me? Do you want to tell me all the ways that you fail me? Do you want to look at my journal from last night and all the prayers I prayed to God about how much I hate you? Right? Like, like we don't do that. That doesn't exist within us. Because we're dealing with us, and then we're dealing with others. And when that's assumed it's happening in the church family, and we're doing it, it actually changes how we interact. So let's think about this guy again. Oh, man. Sore. Right? We're born, and we think the yardstick is meant to measure us against others. What we realize is that the measurement is really us against the Lord. That's, that's, That's the judgment. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The scriptures don't measure me to you, or you to your friend, or a brother to a sister. They measure you to the Lord. And when that judgment happens, no one measures up. That's the first and necessary step required for us as a church family to deal with what's going on and be a gracious humble, joyful people who pursue the Lord together. It doesn't go this way. It goes this way. And then, then I can deal 
with what's going on. But not until then. Otherwise, I'm just going to walk around slapping people in the face. The distance is different. The more you look at who you are and the more beautiful Christ is to you, what he's done for you, the more beautiful he becomes. The more gracious you become. The more loving you become. The more caring you become. So let's be that church. Be that church. Recognize what Jesus has done for us. It makes our first move dealing with our hearts before we make what our flesh wants to do, which is the self-justifying move of dealing with one another.